GOP, all they do is pretend like they're fighting and they always come up short, no matter what. They always can't you know, block the bill or they always don't have enough votes to pass theirs. It's pathetic, honestly. So you ran as a Republican, but the GOP was your biggest enemy? Absolutely. And they pretend like they're pro-liberty and they pretend like they're pro-freedom, um, but they're not. The GOP and the DNC put out emails within five minutes and they were almost identical. If it doesn't scream uniparty when you read these two statements, um, like, I don't know what does. The GOP establishment, I think, is uh, is more of an enemy to the people than uh, than the crazy left at this point, because at least the crazy left, uh, you know who they are. Ian Smith Fitness. It was a brutal battle to keep his gym open amid New Jersey tyranny during the pandemic. And now he has gotten into politics and he is dropping all the truth bombs about it. I hate to say it, but we've got a uniparty on our hands. So what can we do about it? Ian is giving his take on what each person can do to save America right now. Before we jump all the way into it, shout out to the sponsor of my coverage, which is Noble Gold. Things are getting tough out here. Inflation's at 8.2%, and it's just getting worse. And we're not all great with money, are we? At times like these, you need a trusted partner to look after you and make sure that you'll be okay. Noble Gold is the team you want on your side. Keep your money safe. Grab an incredible free three-ounce silver American Virtue coin when you open your qualifying IRA account with them this month of over $20,000, you can't go wrong with Noble Gold. Call 877-646-5347 to find out more or visit noblegoldinvestments.com. Link down below. There's always a risk of loss and past performance is not indicative of future results. With that being said, here's my interview with Ian Smith. Hey, everyone. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Ian Smith, who became world famous when he defied the lockdown orders in 2020, kept his gym open no matter what, no matter fine. Um, I remember Ian, my mom actually, I think is the one who first told me about you. She's like, you've got to check this guy out on Instagram. He is defying every government order and it is so inspirational. Um, so you um, you just came out with a book. You told me about it, and I was reading uh, about it. I love this line you have, quote, After all, free men do not ask for permission or for forgiveness when it comes to doing what is right. Yep. That was kind of the whole premise of why we opened the gym. You know, uh, just like every other – Pretty much every other small business in the country, you know, we obeyed that original lockdown order because, you know, we just we didn't have enough information to confidently stay open. You know, the the idea never sat well with us. But, you know, we were being told, you know, just as everybody remembers, uh, a whole host of outrageous um, and extravagant lies about how deadly this thing was. And, you know, we uh, so we we shut down just like everybody else. But it just didn't feel right. And um you know, like many other people early on, we started paying attention to uh, both the science and the politics because that was why we were shutting down and who was shutting us down. Um, and very quickly, neither one of those things made sense. You know, so we came to the conclusion pretty quickly within the first uh, two weeks that we were going to reopen. Um, and we knew uh, to a degree that we were going to face uh, some conflict from from the government and that they probably weren't going to be happy with us. Um, but we had no idea, I think, the level of uh, 
just how insidious this whole thing was. Um, and as soon as it became apparent, uh, which it did, then uh, the mission kind of changed. You know, at first we were just opening because it was the right thing to do. And then, you know, it was no longer about a gym. Uh, it was about doing what was right when we were being told to comply and not to ask questions uh, and people were being threatened, their livelihoods were being threatened and people were being arrested and all of these injustices were happening. Um, and the idea that we're supposed to ask government for permission to live our lives uh, as free men and women um, just doesn't sit right with me. And, uh, and that's kind of the premise of what we did. It's, you know, we don't ask for permission to live our lives, um, especially when we're not harming anybody, especially when we're a, uh, an asset to the community. You know, our gym is a place that people came to to be healthy, both physically and mentally, emotionally. Um, and then you come in and you tell us that we have to, uh, we have to shut down for over a year um, or, or up, up to a year. You know, they didn't they, they said two weeks and they, they opened gyms in New Jersey. Um, at the end of the summer. Um, so in like September 1st of 20, uh, of 2020, you know, and that's when they, they allowed gyms to open at partial capacity. And it just, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to ask these people for permission. Um, and I, and I certainly wasn't going to ask for their forgiveness for what we did because we're, we, we were never sorry about it. The only thing that we were sorry about was not opening back up quick enough. Wow. Yeah, it's like if you have to ask the government's permission, are you really free? Um, yeah, so, exactly. You're not. So whatever happened, because I know you had immense fines from the governor, like to to the extent that it would be impossible to pay these fines. Whatever happened with that? Yeah, so they started, you know, they the the whole series of events uh, was just a series of escalations. You know, they started with um, some summons on the first day. And then they were kind of coming after not only us, but our members. And then they were arresting people and they arrested us. And, you know, they knew that what they were doing was wrong. Um, and they knew that there was no real punishment, you know, to punish us with because the executive order is essentially meaningless. It's a, it's a request if anything. Um, but they got a judge here in the state of New Jersey named Robert Lugie to, uh, to put an illegal court order on us to close down. And of course we refuse that. But once you, once you refuse a judge's court order, there are some tangible punishments uh, that can be levied against you, even if it's wrong, because they want you to go and fight it uh, in the in the court system, you know, knowing that that will take forever to do so. So we said, no, we're going to fight it in the court system, but we're going to stay open as well. So they started levying a fifteen thousand four hundred and ninety seven dollar and seventy six cents per day fine for every day that we were open, um, which is which is absurd. I mean, uh, for a gym of a thousand members, we weren't even charging members at the time, but for a gym of a thousand members that charge thirty dollars a month, uh, you know, that's uh, that, that's quite a hefty fine there. Um, you know, so that uh, that was probably the biggest escalation of it all. They wound up taking money from our bank account uh, to the tune of two hundred thousand dollars. They just stripped it right out. Uh, they called. So up the Sondheim. money just disappeared one day from your bank account. It did. It did. We uh, we wow. came. You know, we we came into to work as we were doing every day and sort of setting up the opening of the gym. And uh, you know, my my partner at the time turned around and said they took all of our money and I laughed because I thought he was joking. Uh, and then you look over at our bank account and it actually, it actually said negative like $3,000 or something like that because there was a payment going through and, and they, they levied the, the, uh, 
the taking of our money at the same time. So we wound up with negative $3,000. They took uh, $200,000 all, all in total. Um, and that was in the middle of ongoing litigation. That was in the middle of an appeals process. That was money that was not charged, um, you know, by our members. Those were strictly donations that we had received. Um, and they didn't care. They just took it. Um, so that was that that's actually still ongoing. We still have an appeals process going on. Um, in the court system for that, but there was, we wound up in four different, five different courts altogether. So um, many of the issues have, have been resolved and then many are still ongoing. The biggest victory for us um, was they had taken our business license um, approximately a year, um, almost a year into it, right before they opened uh, the gyms back up in New Jersey, governor, Mar- governor Murphy had instructed the, uh, the town of Belmar, to uh, to hold a special meeting and, and essentially revoke our business license in the town. So that's, you know, your ability when you when you, when we talk about being free, um, you know, you need a license to to, to charge, you know, uh, or to be in business, which is kind of uh, goes against this whole idea of freedom. But they uh, they took that license. Thinking, why, why do you need a license to have a business? In the first I mean, and, and it's so stupid. It's, you know, um, 99.9% of the time, it'll never even be an issue. It's just a way for the town to collect revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Just another way to kind of tax and to, to reach into the pockets because it's, they don't grant you anything, um, you know, and, and you don't need a license, you know, uh, in the constitution it talks about free commerce. Uh, that's not free commerce, you know, so right. that's, that's a, another argument uh, or a whole nother topic in and of itself. Um, you know, but we kept going, obviously, because we weren't charging anybody to begin with. Um, but they took our business license knowing that or, or thinking that that would stop us. Um, but eventually, you know, we had run for over two years without charging members. Um, and the only reason that we were able to to manage was that people donated and we were selling T-shirts, um, you know, online. And they, you know, people bought thousands of t-shirts and we were able to not only afford the normal cost of business, uh, you know, our our normal overhead, but the increased costs with all of the safety precautions that we put in place. And we were able to, uh, to fight a $600,000 legal battle that, um, that kept us through there. So eventually uh, the town kind of gave up um, about two years in actually almost two years to the day, the mayor of the town contacted our attorneys and he wanted to know how long we were going to keep suing the town because we would just sue and lose, sue and lose, sue and lose. The court system in New Jersey is a mess. Um, all of the judges are appointed. They're not elected, which means that they don't answer to people. They answer to politicians. Um, and we just kept losing and losing and losing. But, you know, we were, we were relentless. And eventually the, the mayor could no longer justify the expense to the town. Um, of going to court every time, you know, you go to court, lawyers are making $30,000 every time they step in a courtroom um, with all the motions and everything that they have to put in. And eventually uh, they just gave up and they gave us our business license back. So that was, that was the biggest victory of all because we were able to finally be a normal business again, uh, instead of like this sort of like renegade uh, operation that was uh, and, and very thankfully um, getting by on donations, but it's very tough trying to live somewhat of a normal life when you don't know how much revenue is coming in, when you continuously have to, um, to rely on, on people's, you know, generosity. And and we were very, very uh, blessed in that, that people were generous over and over and over again, because they believed in what we were doing. But at the end of the day, our biggest mission was you're not going to close our business. You're not going to put us out of business. 
um, and we're going to, we're going to keep operating like we should. And it took us two years of operating in this, you know, rebellious manner to finally uh, get that business license back. And, and once again, start acting like a normal gym where, you know, we, we collect monthly revenue from our members. And it was, uh, that was a huge victory because that was, that was what it was all about. You know, you can't tell us that we can't be in business. You can't tell us that we can't um, provide for our families. You can't tell us that we can't provide our service in the community. So when we got that back for me, that was, that was the biggest victory of it all. Um, you know, the fines and all that stuff as, uh, as horrible as that was, um, that wasn't the big picture for me. The big picture was that we were going to stay open and you weren't going to close us no matter what. And uh, they tried for two years and they never did. And, and we owe that entirely to the people that supported us. Wow. That's incredible. And after all this, I hear that you sold the gym. Why yeah. So, you know, on the, uh, on the back end of, of all of this, you know, I started to ask myself, okay, you know, like what now as the, as the COVID narrative was starting to fall apart, um, thanks to the, you know, the, the many Americans, uh, who played their role in it, people who stood up and resisted every step of the way. I'm, I mean, everybody had a part in that. Um, you know, cause I, I truly believe that if people hadn't stood up in the, in the manner that they did, uh, we'd, we'd be, you know, like following China's COVID zero policy at this point. Um, but it did, it started to unravel. Um, and on the back end of that, you know, I just, I couldn't help thinking like, okay, now what, um, you know, like the COVID narrative is falling apart, but we know that, um, that there's many other things sort of coming our way. And, you know, I, I got really tired of, um, feeling like we're always running to the fight. You know what I mean? We're always we're always running to correct government injustices and overstep. And it's like they're always catching us on our back foot. You know, we're always reacting to bad government instead of being proactive uh, and stopping bad government before it starts. So I made the decision that I was going to run for Congress um, because I figured what better way to um, to stop it than to, uh, you know, to to step up and and be a regular person. Um, not a career politician, but somebody who just has an interest in serving their community, um, not interested in a long-term career, you know, 40 years in Congress sounds like a nightmare to me. Um, but to, to, to do it the way it's supposed to be, where people step up and they say, hey, I'm going to put my life on hold. I'm going to put my career and my ambitions on hold, and I'm going to work for the people. Um, so I ran for Congress, and unfortunately, we got 40% of the vote in a three-way primary um, so we didn't quite make it in. The GOP was our biggest enemy, obviously. Um, wow. But we learned a lot. And um, and after that, you know, I just uh, I decided that there was other things that I wanted to do that, you know, as much as I love the gym and, um, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for it. And, you know, I'll probably open another gym someday in the future. Um, I wanted to be of use uh, elsewhere and I wanted to be able to help other projects and you know, seeing when I, when I ran for Congress, I saw the struggle that's going on if, with parents all across this country who are battling just the uh, the insane um, public schools. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to be able to be a little bit more flexible and to help and to, to move around a bit. So I turned the gym uh, fully over to my former partner. He's 100 percent in control and he's sort of taking the reins on the way out as uh, as the legal battles wrap up. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so you ran as a Republican, but the GOP was your biggest enemy? Absolutely. Sadly, uh, this, sadly this doesn't surprise me. 
No, no, I, I don't think I don't think many people these days are surprised by it. But you know, it was so funny when I when I announced that I was going to run. Uh, right after my announcement, you know, the media had you know they were they they were up in arms and. Uh, the Democrat, uh, who was the incumbent, his name's Andy Kim. He happened to win again, big surprise. Um, and the, uh, the GOP sort of establishment pick, um, you know, cause they already know, they already know who they're going to run long before, you know, anybody else gets in the race and they'll do a little, you know, a, like a song and dance, uh, and pretend like they're vetting candidates, but they, they have their guy. Um, but both camps, the GOP and the DNC, put out emails within five minutes um, and public statements um, within five minutes of my announcement. And they were almost identical. Um, like the talking points on them were, were it was like if if it doesn't scream uniparty when you read these two statements, um, like I don't know what does. Like it was the exact same attacks. It was the exact same concerns about how I was, how I was unfit for Congress and this and that. Um, like they, you could have, you could have just, you know, swapped them out, uh, and, and one would have done, you know, the, the same job on the other one. So, um, once we announced, uh, we, we didn't run in, in their process, uh, the GOP, they like they like you to, you know, to, to go through their process where you go to the meetings and you, you know, you do all this paperwork and, you know, they, they pretend like they're going to vet candidates, but they don't. So we just ran what's called a right off the line. Um, we're not looking for their endorsement, you know, and, and they didn't like that very much when we decided that we weren't going to play their game. They actually took it as an insult. Um, and right away they kind of went right, right to, right to work undermining us. They, uh, they, they'd started by um, not allowing us to show up at, at County GOP conventions and stuff like that. And then ultimately they wound up spending about 12 times as much as we spent on our campaign, and like 75% of that was negative attack ads within the last two weeks. And they know that works um, because it's worked for them forever, you know, and they, they blasted out text messages, you know, commercials on the radio, uh, email blasts, all that stuff. And it's all negative. Um, they don't have any policy that they put forth themselves. Um, they don't talk about why uh, their candidate would be better. Um, they, they finally agreed to a debate, um, but then wouldn't show up in public. Uh, at the same event. Um, and they just ran that, like that Joe Biden basement campaign, uh, relying on technology, social media, and, and all the money that they have to sort of bury you. Um, and they did a good job of it. They, they, they pulled away ahead of, you know, 10 points, um, in the, in the primary vote. So, uh, it's a very nasty machine. You know, you, uh, I thought I, I understood politics as ugly and nasty, um, and then when I decided to run, I realized that it's much, much worse than than most people even can comprehend. That's incredible. Um, yep. So you ditched the Republican Party, I read. After, uh, after yeah, you know, so I'm still still willing to work with Republicans, but the the GOP establishment, I think, is uh, is more of an enemy to the people than uh, than the crazy left at this point, because at least the crazy left. Uh, you know who they are, um, and they're very clear about their intent. You know the establishment GOP; um, they they are just like the professional losers, um, and and they're willing to sell you down the river. They're willing to compromise, um, and they're willing to play this game um, of like Republican versus Democrat because it benefits them, uh, especially here in the state of New Jersey. You know the GOP hasn't done anything uh, in the last two, three, four decades. 
Um, nothing, you know, in, in terms of uh, being con- a, a conservative, nothing in New Jersey has been conserved over the past couple decades. Our taxes continuously get higher. Uh, restrictions and laws and, and, and regulations um, get tighter. Gun rights get eroded. Um, they, you know, they, they focus more on things like transgender, you know, rights and stuff like that than uh, our education. Um, New Jersey has continuously slipped year over year in terms of uh, quality of public education and quality of life. Uh, we have people moving out all the time. You know, so the GOP, um, all they do is pretend like they're fighting and they always come up short no matter what. Like they always they always can't you know block the bill or they always don't have enough votes to pass theirs. And it's um, it's pathetic, honestly. You know, and, and all they do is they take your donations and they run their campaigns. Everybody gets their money. Um, and they know eventually the ball will get volleyed back to them where they can play a little bit. Um, but they're just going the speed limit to crazy town. Um, whereas the left is just, just going a little faster. Um, but at least the left, like I said, is honest about their intentions. You know, these people lie and lie and lie in in the GOP and they pretend like they have the best interests of Americans and they pretend like they're pro liberty and they pretend like they're pro freedom. Um, but they're not, they're just, they're just, you know, playing the game of inches a little, a little closer. Um, than, than those on the left. So after witnessing just how rotten to the core the New Jersey GOP is, um, I, I decided that I was absolutely done with them. I won't be working with them in the future at all. Um, I'm happy to re- support Republican candidates, um, but they are they are the Republican candidates like myself who, um, you know, we had we had great candidates all up and down the state um, for for this congressional run, and none of us won. Um, we were all blocked out by the GOP and the ones who did get through, get no support from the GOP. They get no money. They get no boots on the ground. Um, the GOP just leaves them out to dry um, because they're just, they're, they're happy with the status quo. You know, they're all, they're all still in, in, in their positions and um, you know, they, they play the game well. That's pretty horrifying to hear. And I think, your experience in New Jersey is exemplary of what we are starting to really become aware of across the nation, especially just seeing how the midterms went down. And I think one of the key reasons that that big red wave didn't happen that people thought was Republican infighting GOP taking down their own people. Um, Newt Gingrich went on Fox news just the other day and talked about how certain key Republican candidates GOP cut off their funding uh, in the weeks leading up to election day, November 8th. And uh, so they couldn't put out those last ads and Democrats edged up and turns out the Democrat candidate ends up winning the congressional yep. seat. Yeah. Blake Masters is, is one of many examples, um, you know, and at, at the heart of it, what you have is the GOP is terrified of the America first, call it whatever you want, MAGA movement. Um, because at its core, you know, even outside of, of president Trump, the, the America first and the MAGA movement is very dangerous to the establishment because it's, it's very unifying, uh, across whatever demographic you want to look at. It's, it's unifying across age. It's unifying across male, female issues. Um, and it's unifying across race and culture. You know, if, if, if you're ever, a part of any type of America first movement, you see people from all walks of life uh, coming together um, to, to produce some, some really wonderful results. And 
those results are smaller government, less regulation, uh, putting American interests before we put global interests, uh, you name it. Um, but all of these things are bad for the establishment status quo, be it Republican or, or Democrat. Uh, and the establishment GOP is terrified of that movement because um, as it starts to gain hold and in, in the hearts of people and, and in their votes, um, it pushes them out of power or it forces them to actually do their job, uh, neither of which they want to do. Um, so the biggest enemy you know, of that, that freedom movement is the GOP. It's the establishment GOP, the neoconservatives uh, that we've always gotten, you know, prior to President Trump. Um, you know, the, these people love war. Uh, they love, you know, sort of globalism. Uh, they, they love all these things. Uh, they love big, you know, kind of uh, uh, crony corporatism. Um, you know, they, th- these are the people that have sold middle America out for years. I mean, um, they, they stood by idly as, as manufacturing uh, year after year after year, you know, left uh, middle America, left all these small towns uh, and was, was relocated overseas, you know, and they're all okay with that because they all, they're, they're all getting their kickbacks and, you know, their, their closed door deals um, while they sell America, you know, down, down the river. So how can the average American, what, what can we all do to get out of this mess to, to break free of the stranglehold that the establishment Republicans and their best friends, the Democrats have mm-hmm. on our country as it erodes? Um, you know, so there's a lot. Um, obviously, you know, we, we know that there's some real issues with our election system, um, but that doesn't mean um, to give up on it either. Um, you know, so you have to get out and vote. I, I mean, I was extremely disappointed in the primary and, and uh, you know, I, I stepped away from the gym while I was running for Congress and I, I spent every hour of every day campaigning. Um, I was out walking neighborhoods, um, walking the streets, putting up signs. And I used to, and I would have dozens of people every day pull over on the side of the highway, you know, just to, just to say hello and just to say they support me. Um, and what I found was that um, only 16% of people came out to vote. Um, wow. You know, and, and we can't, we can't have that. Um, you know, if we want to preserve this country, we need to be more involved, you know, but with that being said, voting isn't enough either. Um, people need to get more involved in every sense of the word, in every way that they possibly can. Um, but with a focus on the local level first, you know, we're, we're constantly sort of screaming up at the sky, uh, angry with the Nancy Pelosi's and the Mitch McConnell's uh, and the and the federal government. And the fact of the matter is, is that these people don't care. They're unbothered by by our, you know, by our outrage. You know, Nancy Pelosi goes home every day and she doesn't care what the Internet says about her. She doesn't care uh, what people are protesting about, whether it's in D.C. or somewhere else. You know, she has her security detail and she goes home and eats her expensive ice cream uh, in her gated home. Um, and she doesn't care um, because she's filthy rich and, and nobody's going to do anything to stop her. She's, you know, she's insulated behind a behemoth. Uh, of federal government that to where, you know, these people they're at this point, they're essentially untouchable. Um, However, the people at the local level are not the people that are on your school board uh, who are ramming uh, propaganda down your kids' throats. Um, The people on your town council, your, your county committees, 
Uh, all of these things are very achievable positions for the average person. You know, we tend to we tend to think of government and we think of like the president and the federal government. But what matters most, and we see this in places that do have strong local and state governments, um, is that they can resist a lot of the nonsense that the federal government is up to by having, um, you know, good state legislatures and uh, state senators. Um, strong county commissions, strong school boards, stuff like that. So in order for us to ever be able to change government uh, on a macro scale, we have to start looking at the micro level. We have to start looking at our communities. Um, And that means that we need to get involved. It means that people need to step up and run. Running for office sucks. It's not fun. Um, It's very, very challenging. It's often a thankless job. um, And it's if you're doing it correctly, it's a very, very challenging job. Um, But the whole reason that we've wound up in the position that we're in is that we've always just left it up to somebody else, you know, um, and we leave it up to these people who are essentially psychopaths. Um, because politics is ugly and we don't want to get involved and, you know, uh, well, you know, I don't want to do that to my family. Um, and these people are all say, okay, well, 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 we'll, we'll handle it. Don't worry about it. But then we turn our backs on them, you know, because we select the, the blue lever or the red lever. And we assume that, Hey, this guy's on our team. He's the GOP or, Hey, this guy's on our team. He's the DNC. Um, you know, they have my best interests in mind. And we, we pull that lever every two years or every four years, uh, and then we turn our back and we just assume that these people are going to to do the right thing. And they, they almost never do. Um, you know, so we have to get involved on every level. We have to we have to make sure that we're registering voters, uh, that we're overwhelming the system with votes, uh, even at the local level. We have to get out all the time. But people need to start paying attention a lot earlier. You can't just pay attention two weeks before your election. You know, when the news starts covering it, you have to know who's running. Um, and, and the whole reason that we're winding up with these crappy politicians is because we're not paying attention in the primary process. We're not pushing through good candidates. We're not supporting good candidates because it's really hard. Even for somebody like me, I had a big name. I was able to fundraise like very well. But your average person, it's almost impossible to get traction um, because nobody knows who you are. You know, and, and nobody's paying attention during the primary. They're not showing up at these county conventions um, so the GOP guy or the DNC guy just gets, you know, put in, uh, and then we find this situation where we're always picking between the lesser of two evils. Like look at the Senate race in Pennsylvania, you know, you're, you have, you have John Fetterman and Dr. Oz, um, and they're two terrible choices. You know, Dr. Oz was not a good choice. Neither is John Fetterman, but people are like, oh, well, I mean, I guess I'll pick this guy. Um, But if we were to get involved in the primary process much more and people were to pay attention, uh, that problem is going to fix itself because, you know, people will pick good representatives. But you can't you can't just leave it up to the GOP or the DNC if that's your political party, because they're going to pick who's best for them, not who's best for you. Um, You know, and uh, it starts local. It starts local because it's much harder for them to fudge the results of local elections than it is for them to fudge the the results of these big elections. And the truth is they can't be everywhere all the time. Um, And if you can get one person on your school board and then the next year you can get two more in um, and the next year you can get one more in, well, guess what? Now you have a majority on your school board in three years. 
Um, and that can radically transform the, the future generation that is coming up through your school system. So we have to start just getting more involved and sacrificing. People are so used to comfort um, that doing things that are uncomfortable, like going to school board meetings, uh, like reading the news on a daily basis beyond just like the headlines and actually understanding what's going on in their communities and in their state and in their country. It takes time. You know, it's a sacrifice to do these things. It's much easier to lay down on the couch and turn on Netflix than it is to sit there and really digest some informative um, and impactful news so that you have a better understanding of the world. It's so much easier to turn on the television or to scroll through your phone. Um, but we need to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable uh, in that present moment, because if not, where we're heading to is a place that everybody's going to be uncomfortable as government continues to grow um, bolder and bigger and more out of control. You know, we're we're we're, we're sacrificing our our long term comfort for some short term sort of it's easier to put your head in the sand and pretend like everything's OK and you know, bitch quietly about the price of groceries increasing than it is to stand up and actually do something about it in that moment, because the chances are you're going to get punished. You're going to get ostracized. You're going to have to donate some of your time. You're going to have to donate some of your money. You might lose your job. You know, you know what it's like. Um, but and, and you're you're a perfect example of it. Right. So you could have shut your mouth um, and kept your paycheck um, and it would have killed you over the long term, you know, over the long term. You, you knew something was wrong. Um, but, you know, so many people will say, all right, I, you know, I got to protect my paycheck. I can't, I can't do this right now. I got a family, whatever the excuse is, um, you know, and because they don't have a whole lot of faith in their own ability to make things work outside of that system. They're, they're so stuck in it. Uh, and it's just easier. It's, it's, it would have been so much easier in the short term for you to just keep going, you know, you read your news piece uh, and you go home um, and you're upset about it, but you drowned it out with some sort of entertainment or you forget about it when you're with your with your family. Um, but you chose you chose what was immediately hard um, because you understood that the place that you were going to was was going to be even worse. And, yeah, you'd be comfortable along the way, but eventually you'd wind up in a place where where your morals were compromised entirely and you would have had to essentially sell your soul for a paycheck. Um, and we need to start as a as a as a as a nation being comfortable with that, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, be willing to sacrifice, be willing to take losses in, in order to gain something greater in the end. Totally agree with that, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. Great advice for everyone. Okay, I want to jump uh, into before we wrap this up. Shouting out your book. You've got this new book. I'm going to bring up on screen. Find your hill. Tell me about it and where people can buy it. So, uh, find your hill is. Uh, I guess it's a bit of an autobiography. Um, it talks about some very, very uh, major events in my life. Um, I'm somebody who has made some some horrible mistakes and uh, and screwed up more than once in my life. Um, but thankfully, I was able to learn a lot from it, um, and it has shaped me into the person that I am today. Um, you know, so the book covers um, my early years uh, in college, where I was actually um, involved in a vehicular homicide uh, automobile accident. Um, which was 100% my fault. It was me being a reckless, selfish, 
um, idiotic 20 year old driving, you know, in, in ways that I should have been driving. And, uh, as a result, a young man lost his life because of my choices. And I was ultimately sentenced to five years in prison. Um, so tells you a little bit about that, how I was able to sort of work through that, um, how I was able to forgive myself, how I was able to not only survive prison, but learn to thrive uh, and find gratitude um, and sort of change my life for the better. Um, then it talks about uh, getting out of prison, what that was like, and eventually starting my own business, um, buying the gym. And then along came the COVID boogeyman, um, you know, and, and one of the things I learned in prison, or I learned to appreciate in prison, was the idea of freedom. Um, and then all of a sudden, somebody came along uh, and was trying to take that freedom away from me and the people that I love. So it, it, it put me in a position where I was really able um, to, to, to look at what was going on uh, and be willing to stand up and fight for it, because I had lost my freedom once before, and I wasn't willing to do it again. So it then talks about what it was like on the inside of uh, of the resistance of of fighting the COVID mandates, um, and then eventually my firsthand accounts uh, of January six being under investigation by the FBI, um, running for Congress, and all that. And uh, it's a book full of lessons uh, that I've learned, and hopefully for the reader, I've been able to. Uh, express that because there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, and I've learned a lot of lessons and not everybody has to learn them the hard way like I have. And I hope that they can do that in this book. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for all your insight. Everyone, you can find his book on findyourhill.com and follow yes. Ian directly right there. You see his handle at Ian Smith Fitness. Thanks so much, Ian. Thank you.